just been uh, doing a film, right? So how did that go? Well, it hasn't gone yet. We oh. um, we had to delay for various reasons, mostly due to you know getting permission from SAG to shoot during the strike and all of that. All right, so, yeah. Because we want to we want to you know do right by all of the things going on, and there's yeah. just some delays. But it's fine because it's given us a little more time to prep and go into it more prepared. And but because we had to push the dates. I have to do a whole new schedule so it's like and, it, and with like different locations that we know are only available on like this day of the week and and try to get actors schedules like together and there's like 42 cast members and it's, it's just like it's a wow. real puzzle and I actually kind of enjoy it but it's good to talk to you because otherwise I would have just been staring at my computer for the next two hours <laughs> well you will be sitting at your computer for a while yes. but <laughs> <laughs> but with with some social interaction which i desperately need okay so. <laughs> okay okay but what do you enjoy about the puzzling thing tell me it's just satisfying and it's there's a creativity to solving puzzles mm -hmm. i mean it's in a way in a way there's not because sometimes there's only one real solution but finding that one solution it's it's a creative journey and it's just like finding you know how a joke works or how how anything works, figuring something out, uh, you know there's a right answer or at least Somewhere. a few right answers. So yeah. it's just sticking with it and getting there eventually. And it's just very satisfying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, um, I assume this, this, is, this is kind of a continuation of the, of the web series, right? The, the movie? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, tonally and the subject matter. Uh, it's like a totally different news story. Right. And it's not as anthological as the series was, you know, each one was sort of this, this standalone yeah. gig and story. Whereas this is, it's a real like movie with a through line and, you know, a, a plot and all of that. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it because I, I really love the, the web series and uh, I've been watching it a couple of times actually. And, repeatedly yeah. and it's so cool i mean you have such a gift for observation um, thank you you know i'm i'm a musician so i i know a lot of these i know a lot of this is exaggerated but i know these situations and the uncomfortable moments um the awkward moments between musicians also or between people that you work for you know these situations and I've heard a quote by um, Stephen Wright, who said, like, all good comedy, comedy comes from observation. And I really, I really see that in your work, you know, there's oh, a realness you. to it. And, and like, like, it comes from life and experience. Yeah, I think the most compelling uh, thing for any work of art or story, it's just telling the truth. Yeah. And uh, it's something I had to learn, especially it's it's almost it's easier with with writing a story. It's it's more obvious. Like, of course, you want to tell what actually happened. And there's a compelling thing in there. But with joke writing, I've really had a learning curve with I used to try to write these like funny, odd jokes. But but now I'm starting to be like, well, what actually happened? Yeah. Like the situation that inspired the joke, what really happened? And talking about that is usually even more funny and more compelling and so yeah it's it's um, and relatable i guess as well right 
Yeah. I mean, if it's something you truly observed and felt and experienced, it's definitely something someone else did too. So yeah. it's just by nature, it's going to be more relatable. Yeah. But I'm, what I'm really curious about is like, I assume there was a moment where something made you really laugh or made you really, you know, you felt something deeply and with every piece of art, when we write something, there was this one initial moment where everything came from. And then you have to do it in front of people. And sometimes after a while, you lose maybe the connection to that initial thing that made you light up. And, and you know, how do you maintain that spark? It's hard. I mean, you mentioned playing the same pieces over and over again, which I think is, it's something comedians do as well. People don't realize as much because the, the whole point of comedy is the element of surprise. And you often don't want to hear a joke more than once you want to feel like you're yeah. coming up with it in the moment but as musicians we definitely I mean you know pop stars play the hits and people want to hear it over and over again so for someone who has to play like their most famous song you know thousands of times every year how do they stay connected to it I mean it's a challenge and I, I've told some of my jokes thousands of times now and uh I mean the thing is at least for a comedian if the audience is really good it kind of makes it new every time because you are getting the benefit of that reaction mm -hmm. in the moment that makes it fresh. But then sometimes I have jokes that work that I just don't tell anymore just because I'm sick of them. And, yeah. But it's not like I've necessarily even recorded some of them in a special. Mm -hmm. They're just sort of gone <laughs> into the yeah. ether. And because I, I need to just have something new and, and it's, always the most exciting having like a new idea on stage yeah but so I don't I don't really know the answer to how how you maintain it I mean it's it's this elusive being in the moment that we're always in search for you know uh and a number of things can connect us if we're ready to be connected and we're willing to uh but a lot of times we're just in our heads and we have to kind of pretend mm on stage and you know part of being a professional performer is even if you're not feeling like you can connect in that moment to sort of just act as if and hopefully that just brings you into the moment but sometimes I mean sometimes I'll have a show that went totally fine but I feel horrible after because I'm like <laughs> I don't know it was just all in my head the whole time and it wasn't fun at all and yeah and I think if you talk to some really big stars of comedy they would oftentimes tell you even if it seemed like an amazing show for like a sold out stadium they might still have felt like shit just because yeah. they're like i'm sick of this or something yeah 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 how much room for improvisation or, or um, things that happen in the moment you leave in the like within a joke or a story um it depends i mean i I think in order to have comedy go well, you have to always be open for something to happen in the moment because the second the audience isn't quite with you on what you've prepared, you do have to shift, whether it's just tonally or if you even go into the audience, like, okay, what's going on? What are you, what's up with you? Why are, you know, yeah. whether it's like a real Hail Mary where you just sort of totally dive in or you just sort of switch to a different joke or yeah, different different sort of tempo um but it's different because with viol I mean I was a violist most of my life 
and I wasn't even like a jazz musician who, where you get to improvise. And I was playing like accuracy was like the, one of the main goals, like exactly the same notes every time. And so comedy is this new thing for me where I actually get to go on stage and not know exactly what's going to happen. And I love that. I -hmm. love being spontaneous and, you know, on a late night TV show where you're telling five minutes of jokes, you're not going to be spontaneous really, unless something crazy happens. Yeah. But if I'm doing a full show, that's like an hour, even if the audience is great and everything's going well I still want to I still want to have something happen like shake something out of them that's new every time whether that someone laughs in an odd place and kind of reacting to that in the moment Um, so there's I mean I think most comedians would say there's a lot of room for improvisation Mm -hmm. uh, in comedy but everyone has different styles there's some you know like I feel like Dave Attell goes on and I mean, at least he makes it seem like it's very loose and improvisatory. And he's got like his Rolodex of a million jokes that he can just switch from and weave into crowd work. Yeah. But then you get someone like Gary Goleman, who to me seems, oh, he's, he's great. He's one of my favorites, but, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I haven't heard him say this, but if I had to guess, I think he's a little more, it's a little more of like a rehearsed thing. I mean, he's very picky with his words and it's very musical. And I would say that it's probably less spontaneity when he's doing like a big show than with like Dave Attell or something mm-hmm. but I don't want to speak for him but that would be my hunch <laughs> yeah 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 I love these moments where you react to the audience or to something that happens you know that happens in the moment that you couldn't have planned I love these moments and it really shows what what kind of timing you then have as well you know oh it's anything that's surprising I think it's that's yeah. the best if it takes you by surprise that really snaps you into a moment or makes you realize something you've always thought, but never put it together. It's like exactly. making people have these connections in their brains. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I've noticed you often take a well-established concept that everybody sort of agrees upon, or that is like set in stone. And then you create a, a, an illusion or a, a setting for the exact opposite, you know? Mm. yeah I that's that's always my favorite thing when I've watched comedians before I really did it you know I watched a lot of uh George Carlin oh yeah uh I watched a lot of early Chappelle and you know both of Mm -hmm. them they're they're very uh sort of they they do that they flip things on their heads but and they're all like very observational and that was always what made me feel like comedy was just magic yeah and so that's always been my favorite thing to do i don't claim to do it uh, as often or as well but that's always my goal uh you know yeah it's great I, I i've seen it in your work i've seen it in your oh, work I, I really like it because it makes you think like why haven't we thought about this you know why hasn't anybody said this yet you know it's it has been hiding in plain sight um sort of you know right the elusive obvious yeah <laughs> yeah thank you for checking out the podcast if you enjoyed these conversations please join me on patreon.com slash pabloheld for more educational videos on various musical topics early access to episodes lead sheets online hangouts listening sessions music recommendations band camp discount and more behind the scenes stuff from the podcast 
The generous support of my Patreons helps me to pay for the running costs of the podcast. And it also helps me to keep it going into the future. Thank you so much. And let's get back to the episode. I'm curious, like, um, how do you think of things that have been important to you in your musical studies when you were studying at Juilliard? Um, maybe important lessons or, or eye-opening moments that help you within comedy now? It's a good question. I'm, I mean, I, I definitely have the general approach that I've always had towards music that I've shifted over to comedy in terms of just knowing that something takes a really long time to get good at, mm. that something is going to just take constant chipping away and, and sort of just this respect for for a craft that I, I feel lucky that I had that going in to comedy right at the beginning because I was I was kind of not um, as discouraged as maybe someone might be at being bad at something because I was like oh this is just what it is and I, yeah. I know how hard it is but because I know I think I can do it you know I was like mm -hmm. I have a hunch that if I stick with this I think I can do it um, in terms of like lessons I learned at school. I mean, so much of it was so like specific to the viola, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was when I think about. It's hard like, to translate time... maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I think about my time at Juilliard, like I'm still like just in amazement of like how one of my teachers got me to like relax my bow grip and, you know, just like weird, like techniques I did where like I would drop the bow on the string. And like, I mean, I was, I was someone who needed a lot of technical help. I was like mm. getting injured all the time. And I just had a lot of tension and like limitations in my playing. Um, whereas I think some people were much more natural physically, but maybe needed a little more like help with the musical picture. Whereas that's always been very natural to me. I've yeah. just been so tight and, and limited. So I, I feel like a lot of my training was just this really specific stuff. But I do think that, the discipline and like the hammering away at these little details that as a concept translated to comedy and sort of isolation, you know, problem solving and isolation, which yeah. is really what practicing an instrument is and what joke writing is in a very different way, but it's similar where, okay, I keep missing this shift. Okay. What do I need to, okay. It's, it's because I'm having trouble getting from this finger to that finger okay so what if I stay on the same like it's these little shifts of like well what if I tried that no that doesn't work and it's the same with jokes why isn't why isn't this joke getting a laugh I know it's a funny idea yeah. okay maybe this isn't clear or maybe I need a funnier word here like these these tiny little problems you solve that end up one tiny problem that you solve can end up solving a million problems yeah <laughs> that you have yeah And so problem solving, I guess, would be my answer. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you write it down on little sheets of paper or is it like one big thing or is it, uh, do you write on the computer or, you know, yellow pad or something or what is it? Like a notebook, lots yeah. of <laughs> little keywords. Ah, yeah, okay. Um, which is mostly what it is. Although if I'm right, working on a new joke, I might have like a more of a paragraph written, you know, Yeah. but 
it's never going to be that it's that's just my initial sort of word vomit yeah and then i go on stage and i don't look at the words for word or else it'll sound robotic but i, I try to remember the phrases i wrote maybe a key funny phrase i came up with and then i record it i listen back and then once it's like in my mind i stop really writing it and then i just have the key words ah. for the set list each time and sort of like a word that reminds me of the joke so it's it's a mix of writing but it's all hand i never write uh never really type unless it's a note in my phone just like for an idea for later yeah um i generally need to hand write it i yeah. don't know there's something about like listening back with the pen in the hand of the paper <laughs> yeah 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 it's yeah. nice it's a it's a physical connection. I also have it with music. I I write it I write it by hand exclusively. I yeah. can't do it on the computer. And also the computer really? would kind of interfere with the with the creative thing for me somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Why. I wonder if it's partly because of it connects us when we're handwriting to an earlier version yeah. of ourselves or a, a more true version of ourselves. Because that's I think the so. first way we learned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even more primitive would be just verbally communicating somehow or mm -hmm. singing a melody to someone or yeah. translating it that way. But so you write, do you then obviously you write it by hand and then you put it into the computer later? Or never. Never. No, I just by hand. Yeah. That's great. But I don't write for, you know, string quartets or orchestras. So, so it's relatively a uh, little amount of, you know, sheet music couple right. of pages, but I really like to do it by hand and uh, I enjoy it. It's an art form in itself, you know, and I check out people that I admire, you know, see how they write it down. Right. Or if you see, you know, Beethoven's, how he wrote it down and compare it to, you know, other composers, it's, it gives you a, a peek into their personality also. And that helps if yeah. you put it, put your music in front of somebody else, then, you know, Right. Are there a lot of things scratched out? Uh, not in, just... <laughs> no, not in my uh, in my final sheet, you know, in my right. scribbled thing. It reminded me a little bit like um, I saw your notes just now and some of them looked like written down in a hastily way, yes. you know. <laughs> so you kind of you want to capture that idea quickly because it might run away in the next moment or you might be distracted by something else. You know, we we have to be fast in this moment. Yes. Yeah, I, my handwriting just gets messier and messier as I, yeah. and, you know, partly I think it's just because I'm getting older or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not old. Keep shaking. <laughs> yeah, I've already like got a tremor going, but yeah. I think partly is, yeah, it's like, I can't stop. I can't yeah. stop to like write it neatly. I have to just get it out. Yeah. Or else it's because it's so fleeting. Yeah. And the, um, and the set list um how how do you go about that you know putting to together a set and see where where a joke might might lead better into another joke or whatever yeah that's another puzzle that's really fun yeah um because i often you know i i'm sure other people have a totally different way of doing this where maybe they decide they want to write an hour on this one theme and so then mm -hmm. they write all of these jokes about one thing so they naturally are already in a certain order for me, at least up to now, I've only had jokes that are isolated ideas that I then find connections. I find a through line. Yeah. And so that's the puzzle where I'm like, okay, 
well, how does this joke end? And where could that go to? Or sometimes I'm like, okay, I only have 10 minutes. I want to make sure I do these seven jokes. Yeah. How can I connect them and finding little connections that I wouldn't have imagined. And then sometimes that creates a new joke. Yeah. Because all of a sudden I'm connecting like a college graduation to like, you know, ovaries or I don't know, Mm -hmm. like there's something new that gets created. I was, I was surprised that, um, yeah, I, you kind of, there was, I was checking out some, some videos and I've obviously heard by now you do similar jokes or the same jokes in a different order and in different videos, context, different clubs, obviously it's very interesting to see how you develop it. And, um, there was today I, I, I discovered that there's this one bit about, um, um, the wedding, you talk about the wedding. Um, and I, I can't repeat it now, of course, but, um, there's this, um, way, way, say, uh, uh, there's a couple of things that I want to do. I want to find the right person, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. But I've heard this in a different context or in a different setup or a joke. And that was something that really, um, yeah, surprised me. It's like, well, wait, I, I know this from a different setup. I know that, you know, that was cool. Yeah, there's a one-liner that I tell about, you know, before I settle down, I have to find the right person. Yeah, right, when you, when you play, right? Right, yeah. and that came from a longer joke from way before I was doing viola mixed in with comedy about, um, you know, being afraid of commitment. And, you know, no one's really afraid of commitment. It's just that nobody really likes anyone that much. So it's like you, you say these things like, no, I'm just like not looking at anything serious right now with yeah. you, you know, or yeah. just I have a lot of things I want to do before I settle down, like yeah. find the right person. So then I just took that one liner, but then there's also like this other, I did this like dry bar special that there are clips on, on YouTube where I talked about like not wanting a wedding and there's that's, like that's all these the different like, saw. Yeah. And that was supposed partly that's because I had to do a totally clean set for that platform. I see. Um, so mm-hmm. I was really fleshing out my like less irreverent themes. So I was like, oh, I could joke more about not wanting a wedding and things mm-hmm. like that that are yeah. more family friendly. Um, so, the, yeah, there's all these different permutations and I'm always just stealing from myself and that's revamping. Great. And it's it's really fun. And I mean, eventually... You, there, you hope that there's like a full turnover, but right now I'm, I'm still in my first decade of doing this and I, it's all just like themes and variations and yeah. stealing from myself. It's cool. You built your own world in a way. And so you can decide on all these things on your own, you know, there's nobody that can, that could say, you know, I'm not supposed to do this. You know, it's, it's your thing. It's great. Yeah. Stand-up comedy is like one of those wonderfully or not wonderfully isolating art forms it's you know i decide everything right and it's not very collaborative unless you consider the audience your collaborator which Mm -hmm. you can but i you know i i get very impatient really quickly collaborating with other people why and uh, i don't i think it's partly just my um my personality and my uh, problems with, you know, keeping, holding attention. I have, I have, I'm very sort of spacey and in my own head all the time. So it's, unless I find someone I really, really gel with, which I have, Mm. but it's rare. Mm. I get very frustrated because I feel like I'm at a different, I'm at a different pace than they are not quicker or slower, just like 
I'm not interested in the same thing that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels just the most efficient is just for me to do it myself kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt that a lot with music and I get very frustrated in rehearsals very quickly. Sometimes I'll be like, really? just, why can't you, you know, can't you just get it? You know, which is obviously very immature of me and there are things I can't get and it's, we're just not in sync. But I, so I think part of me just loves stand up because it's such a solo pursuit and I can do it at my own pace yeah. and do exactly what I want. And then again, it's very lonely and it has its downsides as well. But. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I feel when I play solo, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of self-imposed pressure. I feel, you know, on, okay, I'm the only source of music in a way in this moment, you know, if I don't play, there's nothing, there, you know, of course I can leave a pause, but it, everything has to come from me. Whereas when I play with my group, I can play off of their ideas and we can interact and communicate and make things up in the moment. I could do that too when I'm solo wing, but I'm sort of in communication with myself and the audience. And that sometimes creates a lot of pressure for me. Mm. Can't even imagine just having no piano there and just having to talk to the audience. But I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, but you're mostly, you play jazz. Yeah. I mean, if I played jazz, I think I would love playing with other people. Yeah, me too. It's, yeah, I love it. Yeah. The nature of it is just like you, even when you're rehearsing, you're just like playing, you're just jamming out, you're figuring it out. Whereas with string quartet or something, it's like this nitty gritty, like perfectionist kind of pursuit that it feels like. And I think at a certain level, I just like lost my patience for it. <laughs> not to say it's not a virtuous pursuit. I just like, yeah. I can't, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> um, but I would, I wish, I always wished I was a jazz player and then I could just, you know, create these mat. I mean, that must be the most fun thing in the world to <laughs> play jazz with other people. Um, so maybe I'm just not collaborative as a classical musician, but, but in my writing too, I, I, I have yet to really enjoy like writing like a script. Or you know, I, I really just like to sort of sit down and, and flesh out my own world and then get notes from people and, and incorporate it later. But yeah, but I mean, the collaborative aspect has to be in place when you do something like is a violist or the movie now, you know, how does it yeah. change then for you? Yeah, There's so, so many people involved <laughs> then, I guess. I guess that's, I have more tolerance for it there because everyone's doing such a different task in a way. So it feels like just a real team effort. Like, okay, well, you're in charge of that and I'm doing, you're designing it and then I'm going to tell them what, how to say it. And then, you know, you're going to yep. play off each other. And then, it, so I don't know, I think there's just enough like, variables that makes it interesting and not uh as conducive to like getting sort of impatient by this minutia but who yeah. knows maybe i'll maybe i'll discover that i hate filmmaking too <laughs> but no um with uh, is a violist how how much improvisation was there with uh, or did you write everything out for for everybody Everything was written out Yeah, there. I'm certain that people took liberties and uh, I definitely wanted 
people to say things how they would say it naturally. Yeah. A lot of the people in that were not necessarily trained actors or a lot of comedians who were very good, but I think with people who are more comedians than actors, you, you definitely want to think about how they would say it. And yeah. so I wasn't precious about every word. I just wanted it to sound really natural. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't a lot of like full, I know a lot of, a lot of comedies, it's really, they go off and do a whole take that's just improvised. We, we didn't really have the time to do that or the resources, you know, everything was so um, quick and minimal and we really only had, you know, X amount of resources. Yeah. The dinner is maybe my favorite episode. That was so intense and so well acted also. I, I really loved the actresses. Thanks. And, yeah, they, uh, they were great. Yeah, and there I thought, you know, in a way you can't really change the word because there's so little nuances. Um, my favorite moment from there is like when when you talk about the that guy grindstone in a way you say and then you said that sounds worse <laughs> yeah my i loved i loved how my friend hannah who played that character said no yeah. grindstein you know the grindstein yeah she, she's delivered it so perfectly and yeah. um yeah that one again people might have changed a word here or there because of limited rehearsal time and yeah. whatnot but it did feel like a play yeah stage like this is this is just sort of this is the words this is how yeah. it goes and uh we did that was the one we did the most rehearsal for because it was so yeah. text heavy and yeah. there was no real action to lean on it was just sitting yeah. around but that was that was really fun to incredible do. <laughs> incredible um what about the movements of the dying lady I love her. That was all her. <laughs> yeah, that was so unique in a way. Like the her facial expressions, her movements with her hands, how she kind of wanted to push you back. Incredible. Yeah, you know that. I want to say something about the actress because she actually, she uh -oh. actually passed away. Oh no. <laughs> um, but I, she, I feel bad because I feel like I. I had her play a dying woman and then mm. she died, but it was, it was a couple of years later, uh, but she was really great. Ta her name was Taffy Jaffe. And she was just like this very, is that a, is that a name? That was her name. Maybe it was a stage name. It's incredible. Um, Taffy Jaffe. She was like really beloved by everyone in the comedy community. She'd be like, you know, late in life started comedy. Yeah. And I had posted that I was looking for a, an old woman to die in a scene and she was like I'm ready like <laughs> and she she was so great and I yeah I gave her very little direction I just told her like basically you just don't you just need me to stop you can't handle me it's too yeah. much and she just yeah she was really really funny so wow. yeah <laughs> but R.I.P. Taffy Jaffy she was she was really great <laughs> yeah um, what was I going to say? It's gone. It's because I brought up actual death. <laughs> Conversation died quickly. 
Well, I have this thing when I, when I talk about someone who died, I, I always smile because I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and that's the ending of the second episode. Exactly. Yeah. That's completely from like that actual situation didn't happen, but I, it's like my mouth, like can't yeah. stop. Yeah. I guess a lot of people have that, but oh, I, yeah, I, totally. I feel I bad. Relate. Yeah. I don't want it to seem like I, I don't care because it's, I care so much. Yeah. I just, it's really hard to, for me to talk about it connects me to a thought that I had about you uh, in terms of what you're doing now is, you know, making people laugh on stage and uh, saying the maybe sometimes unthinkable or what's not appropriate or whatever, you know, challenging. That's something that um, in a way isn't really allowed from a classical musician on stage, you know, if there's one thing you shouldn't laugh or make jokes or whatever, you know, I really love that you're breaking free of, of, of this whole thing, you know, and finding your own personal path. And it's informed by what you've been through before. But I think it shows also in these moments where you, you know, you put in the laugh when somebody says they're dead, you know, right. Yeah, I, I think classical music, I mean, I, I'm not one of these people who thinks that we should just totally like reinvent classical music and like put it in different venues. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't think that's, that's not what I'm ever trying to do. And I'm never trying to like save classical music. I think it exists as yeah. what it is. It's historic. Yeah. It's, you know, um, but I do think if there's anything that's going to make it more accessible, it's putting it in a real context, which is that it's kind of funny because it's <laughs> super, it's just this super old music yeah. that like we're still playing. And yep. the people who wrote it then were like people who had senses of humor. And it's, so if you're gonna talk about it and you're gonna present it in a concert, I mean, it's just, I feel like such just a little humor around it, introducing the piece and not only introducing the piece for what it is like, oh, um, you know, this was written by Schumann uh, and he, he notoriously, you know, lost his mind and blah, 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 like, but we're still sort of saying it in just this normal way, but like, or you're not even saying anything or not even saying anything, yeah. but it, isn't it kind of like silly that we're like playing this piece by so and like he also like was going in like totally insane but like you wouldn't be able to tell by this because this is still like music written in this old style that like sounds super hoity-toity classical to most people so mm -hmm. that's funny too like he was going crazy you won't really be able to tell it's yeah. still like really good <laughs> Yeah, normal sounding music. I yeah. don't know. There's just so much opportunity for like. Again, it goes back to like the like honesty. It's not like we're trying to be dishonest as classical musicians, but we're we're really overlooking like the obvious funny fact that we're like still playing this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the way it's presented is also super funny to me. It's like oh, awkward. 
like um, the way you play one song you're not supposed to clap between the movements okay fine but also after the piece is then played and uh, you're about to play the next piece you leave the stage and you wait a moment <laughs> and then you come back and maybe i've, I've seen classical um, performers like leave the stage twice after playing a song it's like what are you doing i mean And recently I saw Daniel Barenboim and Marta Agerich playing duo in Hamburg. It was incredible. It's like a beautiful, very, very moving and emotional concert. And Daniel Barenboim really got quite old and, and fragile. And the poor man, because of the, th those habits and traditions, had to leave the stage so many times and the whole audience was like, oh shit, is he, is he gonna fall? There's, oh no, another step, don't just keep, stay put, you know, sit there and play or don't play, it's, it's fine. Just the fact that you're here is great, you know. Right. And Marta was also doing that stuff, but with Marta, I'm saying her name like if I know her, but um, <laughs> with, with her, I always feel like she's playing in her living room or inviting us in her living room like she has that kind of attitude but some are really like uptight a little bit you know and i also feel like those traditions they seem a bit old to me and i, I would enjoy the music even more i think when they wouldn't be there yeah i that's a really i i forgot about the leaving and coming back and that was probably something that like someone did once and then it just became the thing to do and now yeah. we still just do it and why why not just because any other musician they don't leave until the set is over yeah we don't treat classical musicians don't treat what they're doing as like a set yeah and a set means that there's connection yeah and i Yeah, it's so silly. Or why don't you just sit and tell us what the next piece you're going to play is? Yes, and where you learned it the first time or what's your connection to the piece? I would love to hear yeah. this from artists like that, you know? Yeah, and, it, and it's really not that, like, it wouldn't be that subversive to do that. It, I don't mm. think it would, you know, it's not like we're telling people to... I mean, it's, it's, it's less extreme than like bringing classical music, music into like a brewery or whatever people like to do. <laughs> like you could still play in the, in the hall with the beautiful acoustics and all of that, yeah. have it played exactly how you think it should be played, but just yeah. bring us in. And so yeah. anyway, I, uh, I like to, uh, I like to make it fun and funny for myself because I, Otherwise, I get too uh, stressed out and uh, my nerves like come right back. I have to really keep it like very um, low key. Like whenever I bring the viola to a place, people are always like, do you want us to, you know, mic the viola or, or do you want to do yeah. a sound check? And I'm just like, no, 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 like it'll be yeah. fine. Like, and maybe that's irresponsible as a performer slightly, but I also just have been fine not worrying about that so far yeah and it keeps it more fun for me and I'm not stressing about every little detail and you know if I haven't yeah. had my bow rehaired in months it's fine it'll still make a sound <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah I just I like have to extremely not care about the little details like that yeah but that makes it more approachable and on and more real I feel like in the the set that you sent me like once you start playing or taking up the 
viola everybody's extremely attentive and listening and and making space for that for the instrument to sound yeah something i did not uh anticipate is i think how much people are really interested in the instrument because they've never either never seen a string player in person before or haven't mm. in a while or weren't expecting it and it does create to my uh, delight like an energy an extra sort of energy around the performance uh and attentiveness as you said and mm. people come up to me after and they just say like wow i've never heard a string instrument before that was incredible and for me to like worry about if my a string was like a little sharp when they're just you know I, yeah it's it's really um it's been really therapeutic for me to bring it down to that lowest common denominator yeah in my mind yeah because you you talk about it also in the show like that performance anxiety uh i'm sure it came out of the classical upbringing and the the pressure that comes with that whole thing with the you deal with it in the in the web series as well like with the competitions and you know that whole thing that you have to go through yeah i don't i don't know if it's partly i like i just have like a faster heart rate like i feel like my bow shakes were were so insurmountable for me more than i experienced my colleagues mm. you know everyone would say they got nervous everyone would screw up but the bow shakes I would have were like causing me to have like embarrassing performances. Like not, not I'm not being like picky here. Mm -hmm. They were like, I would botch <laughs> big performances <laughs> where people would be confused at what was happening because I was just so shaky. Um, so part of it might just be sort of like my physiology. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm a very, I am a very anxious person on top of it. Mm. Um, but I think I just have like a very intense physical reaction to whatever is going on in here. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe a little more than some, some of my fellow string players. Uh, right. And so it was, it was just so clear to me that I was not going to be able to sustain a, a purely musical career, nor was I that interested in it after a while, but, mm. um, Yeah. So, but, but since bringing in the comedy, it's like the shakes are gone. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Have you ever checked out Victor Borge? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched him like way before I ever thought about combining the two. Yeah. It, it was something that like, it just didn't really register for me as something, something open as a possibility for me. I don't yeah. know. I, I was just like, that's great. I love that. Yeah. I just want to do stand up. I do also play music, but I don't know how I would combine them. Even yeah. though I had seen Victor Borga and yeah. PDQ Bach and all of those. I loved all that stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. Peter Shickley, PDQ Bach. <laughs> I don't know these names, the last names. I didn't. Uh, I oh, okay. It's up. the same person, um, Peter Shickley. And he often goes by the name PDQ Bach. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a, play on all the box, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think PDQ, it stands for like, it's like an old acronym for like pretty damn quick or something. Because <laughs> <So. laughs> yeah, yeah, like CPE Bach, JC Bach, JS Bach, PDQ Bach. 
Mm -hmm. The so. I think the cool thing is that the way you guys are combining the two worlds is like it's funny for both. For you know, it's funny enough for somebody who just wants to see comedy. You know uh, what am I saying? Funny enough, but you know, you know what I'm trying <laughs> <Yeah>. to say. <laughs> Sorry. No. It is is not my first language, just to uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny for somebody who just comes to see comedy. And it's maybe it's even more funny. I don't know. For, for me, I think it's incredible incredibly funny how you put the words together and how you you know, and it's also musically uh rich and you know, I like to hear you play the viola. So it's it's so great that you get to combine these things yeah i mean in a way it's like the oldest trick in the book you know like just juxtaposing opposites or different like fish out of water like, you know movies where there's a fish out of water and you know it's it's, yeah. it's so uh basic it's such a basic way to be humorous to just combine things that don't go together mm -hmm. um they just happen to be the two things that i can do so yeah. <laughs> When did you find out that you had a, um, what do you call it? I mean, a f funny bones. Do you say funny bones? Funny bone. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, well, I uh, I was always making my parents laugh. I always had yeah. kind of a dry timing that I, I wasn't trying, but I would. I noticed I would make adults laugh. Yeah. And uh, actually, that's a great I was, skill for a kid yeah, and it, to notice like that it makes you feel really powerful and and grown up also like if yes. the grown-ups laugh at you then my we are on the same level sort of you know mm -hmm. right right like i can hang with you yeah <laughs> i was actually this is kind of morbid but i because it was just 9 11 and i grew up like really close to the towers and i was mm. sort of reminiscing on that day and how they during school they put us all in the basement uh on 9-11 and I thought it was like an accident still I'd heard a, a couple planes crashed in the Twin Towers I was 10 I thought oh what a horrible yeah. accident uh and then someone sort of conveyed to me a teacher that like oh, well it was actually like an intentional attack and then I got really scared because I was like well my parents are right there a few mm -hmm. blocks away from the towers I'm so scared what if they what if they fly a plane into my house and then the teacher said well you know well you know I don't think your home is that important and in that moment, I snapped and I, I switched and I just went like, oh, how could you, you know, and like everyone around me laughed. And I feel like it was one of my like early moments of like turning something very dark yeah. into humor. And I mm -hmm. think that was a really big moment for me on 9-11. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> but I don't know, this teacher set me up for it too, by yeah. know, take, <laughs> but, but it was never anything I took seriously about myself. It was just this ability I knew I had, but music was the thing I thought I ought to do. Yeah. I think there just wasn't a lot of, uh, no one was pushing me to be funny. No one was suggesting it as a career. I had no idea how anyone would even go about doing that. Uh, so then I, I just sort of knew I was funny. And then I started watching stand-up comedy, mostly over my brother's shoulder. Cause he would watch mm -hmm. a lot of, he's old, he was five years older. So he would watch. Who did he check out? He was watching, he went on a big Carlin kick and, yeah. you know, he and my dad would both watch it and just like be laughing so hard. And I think part of me, I was like, oh, I want to have that 
effect on someone. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was amazing too. And I remember catching like a, cause I didn't have cable growing up. And it, so I didn't get a lot of these like comedy specials, but I was at a friend's house and like a Bill Maher special played. And he's not even mm -hmm. one of my favorite comics, but, but uh, it played and I, I thought it was really great. And he like brought it back at the end, like a callback. And I, I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, that's, how did he do that? And mm -hmm. then, you know, flash forward, I was, getting injured and having performance anxiety and just being like, I don't think this is the right thing for me. And uh, watching, watching more comedy and being like, I have to, I have to do that. I don't yeah. know how, but I have to. And I just sort of looked into how to do it. Oh, you go to open mics. Okay. I'll just start going to open mics. And, and that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those, uh, I mean, how did you come up with material in the, in the beginning? Like how, What, what sort of bids were it then? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure you didn't bring, the, bring back the 9-11 joke all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never. I like really haven't talked about it that much. This was just like a recent kind of memory yeah. that I uncovered. But um, I joked about like, I would because I have like a, I have a good singing voice. So I would do jokes about like, like, how do you think a pop singer practices? And I would do like riffs, but then like repeat them like a classical musician would, you know, and like, <laughs> it was more like performative, like act out bits or, or things about like, uh, I don't know, really stupid, stupid ideas. But mm -hmm. it was a lot of, um, it was observational because that's what I um, was watching the most. I hadn't really seen, there are a lot of other styles of comedy besides observational you know mm. more like a one linery sorry physical comedy also you know physical comedy yeah. um i mean mitch hedberg uh he's he's more like you know yeah, you could say it's observational but a lot of it is just these like clever almost wordplay yeah uh these like micro observations in a way yeah. um and and people like that that I discovered a little later on and that kind of opened it up for me because at first if you're just watching observational comedy like uh you know I would I had watched a lot of Louis C.K. Bill mm -hmm. Maher uh what's his name Bill Burr mm -hmm. um and you know to the untrained eye they're kind of just talking yeah and making these smart observations and then you're somehow laughing too so then you get up on stage and you think all you need is like an idea Yeah, you don't realize that actually woven in there are a lot of setup punch, setup punch, yeah. misdirect, funny voices, whatever they, yeah. whatever vehicle they use to get the laugh. The actual idea itself, it's a smart idea that maybe flips something on its head, but it's not necessarily funny without that extra thing that's like the joke. Yeah, or the 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 unexpected word choice that kind of yeah yeah so there was a huge learning curve and i was you know just getting up there and saying like god knows what uh yeah ideas about you know heaven and hell and you know <laughs> trying to be really deep really early on yeah <laughs> so. did you do uh impressions also no i i'm actually i'm pretty good at impressions um yeah. but they're all useless impressions you know <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, I've never like worked them in on stage for some reason. Like I've never been like, okay, you want to see an impression? Okay. This yeah. is, uh, you know, <laughs> Joe Biden, if he were a car mechanic, you know, yeah. I don't know. 
Um, so no, I don't really do impressions. Although mm. I, it's, I think I have an ear for that. It's like the music. I, I'm a good mimic. So yeah. But yeah. Do you do impressions? I, um, um, well, I think I, uh, I can find things that are, um, um, how do you, how do you say that? Um, yeah, I, I couldn't really do, I, I can't, can't really do like imitating famous people or something. I'm not really good at that, but I, with my friends, I can find the thing that with three words, you can say something in the specific rhythm or tone and find, find something about that one person that somebody else will know who, who, who I'm talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's something, you know, that me and my friends do, do a lot actually. Yeah. But with, you know, I can't do accents or whatever, you know, I, I'm <laughs> not really good at that. But I, I do see a similarity, as you said, also with with mimicking uh, somebody. Uh, that's a musical thing as well. Especially, yeah, you know, uh, with with learning music also from, you know, the jazz uh, uh, language and the jazz tra tradition. A lot of it is mimicking in the, in the beginning. You know, you you idolize somebody and you try to play similarly or you even transcribe solos or the way somebody interprets a melody and you have to be as close to as possible. And right. if you do that, then sometimes the, the, the thinking brain gets in the way. Like, um, I don't know if you can translate that to, to comedy or doing impressions with, with comedy, but I've had a couple of students of mine transcribe one solo of um, this great saxophone player, Lee Konitz. Um, and um, they all did well, but one uh, person did especially well. Like he, he would play it exactly like Lee played it, although he was a pianist, you know, and Lee played the alto saxophone. And I asked him why, uh, what did he do? And he said like, yeah, I didn't really think about this is an eighth note or this is an eighth note triplet or this, you know, I just played it at exactly the time where he played it. Right. You know, and if you think about eighth notes and eighth note triplets, it's not how a child would do it. And, you know, and children imitate all the time. Right. It's, it's again, like something gets lost in the translation of, of mind to page to mind, but if it's just, yeah mind to mind you know you're just hearing it without the writing it down without that interference of that technology that we've created which yes. is notation and language yeah. and yeah because it's never going to quite be an exact triplet or an exact you, yeah that makes a lot of sense so you were you had written it down and then learned it from the page or no no I had them I just said to them learn it and some of them wrote it down and right, then they, right. you know, and he didn't write it down. He just played yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So sense. I kept the assignment open and right. that was interesting to see how they, how they took it. But how would you translate that to doing an impression of some, you know, of a, of a person? There's no way to, to notate like someone's accent or dialect oh, yeah. really. It's true. Yeah. So I guess it, it just has to be, you hear it. And you either, I, I do know that, and I've heard people who really do impressions say the same thing, that you kind of have it immediately or you don't. 
Uh-huh. And there's yeah. certain people where I hear it and I just know I could do it right away. Yeah. Or I, I can't really like learn someone's voice. It's either in there or yeah. it's not. Um, yeah. So it's a very sort of instinctual thing. Yeah, that makes sense. But I haven't explored it very much and I don't, I'm very shy about my, and I often, I often I'll be impress, impersonating like a friend of mine for another friend of mine, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's very internal things. But. Yeah. And also the, the imitation thing also happens in human interaction subconsciously. Like if you hang out with a special friend that you associate with a certain time in your life or whatever, and you hang out again for a couple of weeks, you start talking like that person. So yes. it's, it's a matter of being, being in the presence of, of what you're trying to imitate or trying to get closer to, I guess. Right. And sometimes I try not to, uh, like my, my fiance, his mother is in town and, and she has a very uh, thick Southern accent and hanging out with her. I just start sort of having that too. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Isabel, you should speak how you speak. Like yeah. in a way it's almost like hold true to yourself. Don't, totally you know meet someone else's it's not that this bad but it's just like i want to be able to feel a stronger sense of self that i don't just mimic <laughs> whoever i'm around you know yeah, it's i mean it's also a sign of uh empathy and and uh you know um yeah empathy i guess you know sometimes when people talk i don't know if did you talk to jimmy fallon on the show <laughs> or yeah a little yeah Sometimes I like to watch him when he does an interview because he's always moving his lips and saying the things that his interview partner is saying. It's oh, really, really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never noticed so that. I think that's a, that's a, you know, he wants to be as close as possible to the, what the other person is saying. My wife also does it when uh, our kids speak and our kids tell a story to, to a stranger or to a family member. She, she'll move her lips also like in, you know you want to help out in a way you know and I, I feel like you taking on a little bit of her, her accent is maybe the same a subconscious thing you know or somebody has something in their you know you have the sore throat and they their voice is all funny and you know uh, like this and you although you don't have that problem you start like <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, right. you know that totally so yeah. you actually disregard what your body is telling you and do, do the opposite, you know, just to help that person somehow. Right. It's the ultimate form of empathy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to look at it. What happens um, if you're about to go on stage and you feel miserable and you don't feel like uh, making someone laugh at all? Uh, but um, you have to. It depends. Sometimes, sometimes I feel so horrible that I, it's like, all right, well, I have no choice. And I'll literally like, maybe like smack myself in the face or like take a bunch of like quick breaths to get some energy going. And it's like, just go. Sometimes I feel just a little horrible where I can sort of say like, okay, maybe I can use this. Yeah. Like, so how you do know, you use it? It's an, it's an energy. So I can just sort of think of it as like a tangible energy that I could almost like grasp or like shoot out to somebody. And I just feel like I shoot it to the audience in a way. And it, it just sort of fuels me. 
and sometimes it makes it even better like I I've done sets where I'm like really angry about something yeah. not related to the show and then I get on stage and I just like you know <laughs> I have like the best show of my life because yeah. I'm just so like first of all I'm not anxious about the show mm -hmm. so I'm like free that way and then second of all like I just any energy is almost good energy with stand-up because you just you have to be so on even if you're a low energy comic there's still a lot of energy behind it mm -hmm. um so like yeah, a silent yeah, burn or something yeah yeah and sometimes it's it's just bad but sometimes <laughs> i'm just so tired and it, that's usually the worst if i'm really tired so that's when i have to like slap myself in the face yeah or do you sometimes change change around the set to accommodate what you're feeling in the moment? Not usually. Often the set is determined on like how long I have to do com combined with like where I am in the world, like what city and what what these people might respond to or, or certain things I know they won't respond well to. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if if it's a, it has to be slightly cleaner. So like there are a lot of other factors that just go into making the set that I, I won't really change it that much based on how I'm feeling. And it'll be more, again, just maybe the, the tone or maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll nix one joke or something, but I, uh, I'm often listening. There's usually a comic on before me, whether or not they're opening or I'm on a lineup of a bunch of comics. So I always try to listen in the room before I go on stage because it's just such valuable info you know I I hate going into a room cold because mm -hmm. if every comic has been crushing then I'm like okay this is like a really good crowd you know I have to bring it but I know if I do my normal thing I'll probably have a really good set but if every yeah. comic has been like kind of having a blah set then I get to go up there and when I don't have a great set, it doesn't affect me. I'm not like, oh no, am I terrible? Mm -hmm. I know that just this is everyone is dealing with this. Um, or, oh, this crowd is is tightening up whenever someone talks about this. So let me let me not talk about that. So it's it's less on how I feel and more any information I'm getting about the show and the room in the moment. Um, mm. So, yeah. <laughs> how important is sound check for you? If it's just stand up with no music, I, I barely, nothing. Yeah. I mean, unless it's a theater or a TV show, you don't usually do a sound check at a club. You don't really sound check. Yeah. Um, they just turn the mic on. <laughs> yeah. 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 But... Yeah. And how do you, how do you, I mean, I've seen a couple of videos on it, but how do you deal with hecklers? Like, yeah. is that something that you'd thought about before? Like, what do I do when somebody is trying to ruin ruin the show, basically? I have no problem uh, just telling someone you're ruining the show. Like shut, <laughs> be like you know, shut up. I yeah. no problem doing that at this point. Um, normally, you know, the heckle heckling, so to speak, rarely is it like your classic like you suck, you know, mm. get off the stage, tell a joke, you know, like, I don't really, I'm not saying people don't think that in their minds, but no one's been that mean outwardly towards me yet. Yeah. Um, Except for so, weird comments online, I guess. Oh, that's a whole different. 
I saw your I saw your stories about that. That was incredible how you handled that. Oh, I I mean, it's so weird because those comments only help the video because the algorithm like right. people start arguing in the comments. So it's such a horrible world that we live in in that yeah. I have to be like, yeah, keep fighting. It yeah. helps. But <laughs> so I think I've I I I just want to share those sometimes because I do like people seeing like just how you know dumb or mean or misogynistic people are. I, I like to oh, put yeah. it on display sometimes just so we don't forget. But yeah. it doesn't really affect me emotionally anymore. I just sort of think it's funny or like shocking. You know, yeah. I don't really take it personally. Um, but that's a whole other thing. But in in the moment you know, if someone's just drunk and having a good time, but they're just being disruptive because they're drunk, you know, I, I try to play with them a little. And then maybe I always just try to be nice in the end. Cause I think you don't want to turn anyone. I should be like, look, I love you. I love that you're having such a good time, but you gotta shut up, you know, like yeah. oh, sort of like nice, but, but mean rolled into one. Cause you want to, you want to feel like you're the one in control still. Yeah. So I, yeah. I go a little like, overly aggressive sometimes to like assert my dominance because I, I think people tend to think like who is this little girl on stage and so I want to seem like really in control yeah um but it's always different you know and again if someone's like really mean or something I'd just be like get them out you know there's always a security guard I can just be like this yeah. person has to go yeah <laughs> yeah we don't have that in jazz clubs <laughs> no yeah <laughs> or if you do something's recently, really wrong yeah um actually um yeah so i i um i'm always doing announcements when i'm when i'm playing you know usually with my trio we play a whole set with no intermission or no pauses between the songs it's like one thing so i say something out out front which okay. is also why i was asking like how how do you deal with it when you don't feel like talking at all you know because I sometimes struggle with that. But um, the pandemic actually did something to my mind because, okay, in the this weird time, we did all these live streams and nobody was there. You had to kind of invent an audience in your mind. And then when the audience came back, it was, of course, uh, not so many people, but they came back. And actually, I had the feeling, maybe you can relate to this, like they actually, the people that are here, they actually want to be here because they had to go through so much to um, to be here. You know, it's not even paying their babysitter and getting an Uber or whatever. They also had to do tests, stuff of things up their noses and, you know, uh, risk getting COVID. Or they actually want to be here. So that made me relax and that made me actually talk a lot more and being a lot more honest on stage and just also talking like uh, what came to my mind, you know, something, sometimes st stuff that was unrelated to the music. So I felt more at ease. And actually, since then, I've been talking and talking, talking more and more and more on stage. I love it now. Um, so at this one concert, I kept talking and announcing this song with this big story. And somebody yelled like, Nobody cares. Start playing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, how do you because you don't deal with that norm? Like if someone no, said that to no, me. No, I asked him, like, do, do you want to play maybe even or, it's, you know, I just tried, tried to get into a contact with him. And, but also 
uh, I think pretty quickly he noticed that it wasn't okay what he did. And because the whole audience turned to him in this moment, but not in a good way. You know, it's like, but yeah, I'm always thinking about these because in these moments you still want to be in charge somehow, although you're, you know, somebody pulls your pants down. (laughs) Right. I mean, but it's, it's fun when someone calls out, at least you do get the sense like, oh, most of the people in this room are on my side, clearly, because yeah. everyone is looking at this guy like, shut up, you know, yeah. and it can make you feel like, oh, most people are like, supportive and nice. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, sometimes I'll literally just say into the mic, I'm in control, like, and it's supposed <laughs> to be kind of funny, but like, I'm just literally like, yeah, you're also that. saying it for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's wild that that happened at a jazz club. That's, yeah, yeah. That's like insane behavior to me. <laughs> like oh, at yeah, a comedy totally. club, that's like kind of normal, unfortunately. Yeah. But mm-hmm. so it's good for you for continuing on. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Ugh. Yeah. But uh, I'm curious about um, opening up to the vulnerable vulnerability in, in us. And, you know, because I see that in your in your standup, um, you, there's moments that are obviously funny and, 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 you know, um, and, you know, well thought out and, and whatever, but, and then there's moments like where I feel like you're actually really letting us in, into your story, like that hour that you sent me, there were super deep and, and honest and, and, um, intimate moments. Mm-hmm. But that takes courage to to open up to that, to, to make yourself vulnerable in front of others. Yeah, it's never felt uh, courageous to me. I, I, I mean, I under, understand that. And I've seen people be vulnerable and thought, wow, that's really courageous. Mm-hmm. But when I when I do it, it's almost like uh, it almost feels like I don't have another option. And it's it's just really therapeutic. And it's almost the only thing that makes me feel okay about something is talking about it, whether it's mm-hmm. to a good friend, but even more so to an audience where maybe, you know, someone else who I have no idea has experienced a similar thing, hears it. And, and it's really, it's, it's more survival to me than, than courage. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be the type of thing where if you're so uncomfortable or so, unhappy for lack of a better word but mm-hmm. it's like it almost trumps any fear that you might have like if there was a moment of feeling uh, afraid of being vulnerable it's like well that doesn't matter because like this is gonna make you feel better mm-hmm. you know it will so just do it um, and that's how I felt when I first started stand-up I was so nervous to do it as I think anyone would be going to an open mic. I went alone for strangers that never done stand-up before and you just get on stage. And I was so nervous to the point where I felt like nauseous. Yeah. Um, but I also felt like I did not have another option. I knew that I just like, this was something I needed to at least try and give a real chance to, or else I would, you know, for my whole life feel like I was missing something or missing out on something. So there's like fear and then, but then there's the, the other side of it that comes from like just great, 
depression or discomfort or whatever, whatever anyone is dealing with anxiety, uh, <laughs> that I struggle with, with, with as much as I think, you know, I think a lot of people it's common. I'm not saying I'm like this deeply troubled person. Maybe I am, but I, lately I've been Everybody really trying. <laughs> Everyone is, I, I don't know. I, um, there's a lot of emphasis right now on sort of figuring out what all of our traumas are and this personal, and uh, of course we all have it and it's all valid, but I, I think focusing on that can be really isolating. Whereas rather just focusing on the idea that we're all kind of the same and uh, <laughs> that, that can actually like lead me to, to feel better rather than harping on what it is that is negatively affecting me mm -hmm. sort of saying like well what makes me so special and at least I can go and talk about it and maybe you know help someone mm -hmm. yeah who are people that you're checking out at the moment um, that inspire you oh this is always this is my um scariest question for some reason do you ever get that when people ask like what music yeah. are you listening to lately yeah 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 it's the lately part of that question helps me actually because if i if i get asked like okay who are your favorite artists i totally blank out because then you your mind wants to include everybody to give that person the right picture of what you're think you're about whatever you know right. And that's never possible. And uh, you're always going to miss and and um, leave out the most important people for you. But the lately part, uh, I usually try to change up that question when I get asked, you know, tell me what I'm, I'll tell you what I've been listening to in the last days. Right. Well, I lately, I have yeah. been <laughs> on a real um, Todd Solon's kick, the filmmaker Todd Solon's. He made mm. Welcome to the Dollhouse. He made Happiness. He made I don't know him. No. Palindromes. Yeah, I I had missed him, or like you know he's he's been around for a while. Welcome to the Dollhouse came out in the I don't know late eighties, early nineties, or something. I might be getting that wrong, but a long time ago. But that was like his big breakout film, and then he made all these other really wonderful films and. Um, I had never seen really any of them, uh, except for one a long time ago, but I didn't know who made it. And I just thought it was weird because I was too young to be seeing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but so I've been watching all of his films and they're just, they're so great. They're so um, funny in the most disturbing ways. Mm -hmm. And I just love his um, style of shoot it's just everything i don't know there's some i'm i'm a very uh i'm very quick to to say what i don't like about something mm -hmm. and so what's really blowing my mind is that like every movie i watch of his i'm just like that was great like yeah. I, I almost <laughs> it's just like really refreshing to see something that i just feel so connected to that's like, great yeah the humor he draws out of um i think what it is is it's not um contrived comedy it's it's humor from just interaction and it's the most just pure like situational comedy in a way mm -hmm. it's just these odd characters interacting with each other and 
it's just beautiful beautiful so yeah todd solon's has been a very recent inspiration to me cool i'll check it out cool i'm also listening always to like a ton of uh like scandinavian folk string music i'm just such a junkie for like the danish string quartet mm -hmm. and uh and they're one of the violinists has like an offshoot group called dreamers circus i don't know i just listen to their music over and over again and i see images it's like it really helps me uh think of things to write ah great i don't listen while i write i couldn't do that but i i think i listen and i dream and then i write <laughs> yeah yeah that's great yeah um i saw tar yesterday have you seen it yeah it's pretty intense, right? Yeah, I uh, I went in expecting not to like it because I always, yeah, me too. You know yeah. the way they handle music in a movie is always so yes eye roll. Yes. But actually, I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, I uh, and not even on the one hand, I think the way they handled the music was pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of things, but like yeah. was, as far as what I've seen in movies is pretty well done, and then just the ambiguity of it all. And I, I mean, obviously everyone in it was so great, including Kate Blanchett, but um, that was alone, like her performance, I wouldn't have cared if the movie was terrible, but it was, it was, I really like movies that aren't clear like that. Yeah. And then the ending was just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is a comedy, yeah. you know? Yeah um but i but people, didn't see that coming didn't no. see that coming at all no but but i think a lot of people were upset by it by the by ending the movie not not the ending as much as maybe just that there wasn't such a clear message to it mm -hmm. i mean may, I, I do think this is also like a, a cultural thing i mean this is a broad generalization but i find that like americans like want to be told what to think a lot more than like other cultures maybe like yeah i just feel like in general like movies that are more artistic and ambiguous do better like with european audiences who like maybe <laughs> i don't know maybe that's mm -hmm. just a, such a generalization but i i just think it's if, if a piece of art makes you uncomfortable and you're not sure what to think that's kind of the best yeah way to way to have it be it's more inspiring like that it makes you think and then you're part of the process in a way yeah part of yeah. the thing yeah. what was the ticking in the dinner episode oh what was that about that, that i had originally wanted to have an actual clock on the wall that you saw yeah. ticking but we just couldn't figure out the clock and um but i always heard it when I was writing it, I always heard a ticking noise. And uh, I think it was just sort of, I like the, when a clock, when you hear a clock ticking, it's almost like a symbol of like the deafening silence. Because if it's quiet enough, you can hear the clock ticking and it becomes this like loud thing that's just nagging at you. It also um, creates an urgency to the, to the whole vibe of the scene. Yeah, and I'd say, of course, there could be a symbolic, oh, ticking of a clock, time, you know, time's up, whatever. But it, it was more just about the music of the clock itself and mm. and what that would lend to, because there's no other music in the episode. 
Mm -hmm. but the clock is almost like the soundtrack yeah uh, it's just it gets very louder minimal. also right yeah yeah that's yeah. cool another favorite moment um is when your friend asks you have you tried writing and then you play these uh, little <laughs> ideas on your bed uh -huh. viola <laughs> i really love that because that these again this is so so detailed in a way and so you know such great observations these um these ideas they're right in the middle of something that where you could say this is great let's follow this idea and you could also say nah, maybe not and that's exactly what the mind does when we try to compose something you know especially in a moment where maybe we shouldn't you know we right. we shouldn't you know use creativity to make us feel better or you know there's a problem solver or whatever uh, force it you know we shouldn't force it and i love that you create the ambiguity in these moments as well like in these tiny moments each idea has these this quality to me yeah well and that came from truth as well because i I never felt inspired to write music, uh, even though I wanted, I desperately wanted creative ownership over something. Mm -hmm. I just didn't care about writing music. I felt yeah. everything I thought of had already been thought of, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that just means it's not the right medium. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It's like, you kind of can't force it. I mean, if you want to make art, you do have to sit down and kind of make it every day, even if you don't want to, but there has to be this undercurrent of just knowing that it's still like the right thing. And you really can't force what medium you're kind of meant to work in, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to talk to you about laughter. Um, personally, I can sit through a set of a comedian it's a different when I see, see them live, but I can sit through a set of a comedian when I watch it online and not laugh and find it really funny. And uh, maybe that has to do with certain other problems of mine of showing really or giving into my emotions. You know, I also cry. Don't, don't cry that much. Rarely, you know, I rarely cry, although I would like to, you know, it doesn't really happen. With laughter, it's more, but also I can find something really, really funny and admire it and not laugh. Yeah. And then there's moments like the dog joke uh, in, in your <laughs> set where it was like, why is this happening now in this silly moment? You know, um, <laughs> there were bits that I thought were even funnier than this, you know, but this was the moment where my, my body couldn't take it, it could, couldn't handle it. So I'm, I'm, how is it for you when you watch something that you really find funny? Think is about it always laughter? No, no. I, especially with stand-up, it's like, I do think so much of the laughter comes from being around other people and laughing with them and the contagious yeah. element of it. But then I think sometimes like, well, if it was really funny, wouldn't I just laugh? Which... I mean, 
you could make a case for that. But I, I just think when you're dealing with any kind of like involuntary physical response, so many factors come into play. They, you know, if you're, I also think laughter comes from discomfort. And so if you're mm -hmm. upright in a chair, you might be more ready to laugh. Whereas if you're lying on your couch watching a special on Netflix, you know, it's just, you're going to laugh a little less. Mm -hmm. And if you're watching it with a few friends though, and people start laughing and, you know, or even if I'm watching something with my partner, like, and he laughs, then I might start laughing. Yeah. And it's not like, I don't think it's funny or I think it's funny. It's just, it's this like a uh, animalistic thing. Mm -hmm. uh, crying is an interesting one because I cry very easily alone or with people. It's, it's just, I cry a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, that one's just easier for me. Um, but I think about that a lot in terms of also some, I'm very critical of stand up, And when I watch a special now, I'll often be like, oh, this is kind of boring or I've heard it before. Yep. But then I always have a moment where I'm like, but if I was in the room right now, yeah, I probably would think this was like a, amazing. Yeah. And it's just our standards like shift when we're watching a screen. I don't, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think comedy is really meant to be watched, not live. It's yeah. born out of live performance. Whereas a movie, it only exists in that form. Mm -hmm. Now it's still more fun, I think, to watch a movie, especially a comedy, like with other people in a theater. But there is just a more pure, like, oh, I'm getting the pure version of this, how it's meant to be consumed exactly. Yeah. On my screen. So yeah, it's interesting. I wish I laughed more at home alone watching stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. But I watch, I, I laugh more at like TV shows. Like uh -huh. if I watch 30 Rock, I'll usually laugh out loud, even if I'm by myself. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes we laugh in this, uh, laugh in these moments where we can expect, like I often listen to podcasts or comedy um, sets when I'm buying groceries and then you're picking out the milk and you're, start laughing out loud and it seems even weirder you know than <laughs> yeah these moments are great i love it actually when it yeah, happens well, like that and then if it's suppressed you know because you're like, oh, i shouldn't be laughing then it's <laughs> even more it's like you know they yeah. call it the church giggles or yeah and... exactly <laughs> exactly uh what was i going to oh yeah you played with bjork yeah, a long, a long time ago. <laughs> but how was that? Can you tell me about this experience? Yeah, the actual performance experience was a bit of a bummer because we were all on a click track. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like we were just so plugged in and couldn't really experience what was happening fully. Um, it was still cool to just see her that close. And she always has these amazing costumes, mm -hmm. like an orb and a... You know, it's really interesting to get to see it that close. Uh, but in rehearsals, it was really interesting. Just she would, she is exactly how you'd want her to be and how you think she would be. She's just very sweet, very deep all the time. Mm. Uh, and I remember she had this one um, 
description of a song that I loved. And I think the song was called Sun in My Mouth. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it's like if you know you're you're about to cry, but like you're almost smiling. But and it was just she described the feeling exactly. And I I don't know, she would say things like that where you're kind of like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh so it was really cool, but also not. <laughs> mm -hmm. How long was the rehearsal process and how was the, what, what kind of a show was it? It was like a, a few shows in New York. Like we played about three at Carnegie Hall, a couple at King's Theater and a couple mm -hmm. at City Center. These big theaters in New York. And uh, she had, um, I don't know, like 10 to 15 string players behind her playing. And the rehearsals... I think we had like one or two rehearsals with her there. I mean, it wasn't very much. The The parts themselves weren't very difficult and they were all written out. And again, we had a click. So it was it was pretty, you know, a, a pretty quick process to get in there. But it was fun that she just came, you know, for like one or two days and gave her little inputs and things and That's made cool. it a little more special for us. <laughs> Did you notice anything that uh, you could tell me about like... Uh how she would get into the zone to you know to perform i didn't get to see much i mean i would have to imagine with getting into those intricate costumes where she's like i mean making a such a transformation these mm. many pieces and things where her face is almost like obstructed and i wonder if that's just sort of getting ready in that way makes her be like okay now i am like york the performer the artist, you know, I, I wonder, but I, all we would see was like that, you know, we would all be in the wings together right before. And she was just sort of friendly and no, she wasn't kind of like, don't talk to me. You know, she wasn't at all like a diva or mm -hmm. anything. And not that having like a process would make you a diva, but she, she really didn't seem to do anything uh, out of the ordinary right before mm -hmm. she went on stage. Yeah. I would love to hear this now. Is there a recording of, of you guys playing together? Uh, I don't know. I, I know it was her Volnakura album. Yeah. And I feel That's like a great one, one of, yeah, yeah. I love the songs. I just, having to have a click going through them, it was just like ruined it. Yeah. But she, I think she used one of the like string recordings from one of the live performances on something. I only know this because I got like paid after the fact for like an extra recording thing that I wasn't mm -hmm. aware of. Um, but I, I, I don't think there's like, maybe some bootleg on YouTube. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It was in 2015, I want to say. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you YouTube Bjork NYC 2015. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll check it out. Do you record your, uh, most of your shows and listen back? I have every set I've done on my phone in my voice memos just yeah thousands of, this is all sets yeah <laughs> yeah thousands so, and thousands of sets how much of these have you actually listened to uh yeah good question uh more than i'd say i listen to more than 75 percent of them mm -hmm. because you know my best writing comes from just listening and taking notes you know the original idea is usually pretty bad and then it 
it develops. I'm like, okay, well, that didn't work. I'm gonna go change this. Oh, that's mm -hmm. funny. You know, like, so it's a lot of listening. Than more than writing, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful, isn't it? I mean, but sometimes we have to go through the pain also, like, it's not yeah. always, it's not always fun to do it. No, no. I, a lot of times I, the reason I won't listen is because I'm like, I don't want to face that, what mm -hmm. just happened. <laughs> but if I face it, it's always okay. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> it's never as bad. Or if it is, you see it for what it was, which is just like a bad, bad set. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That happens so often where you think like this, nobody should have been listening. <laughs> yeah. And then you listen, it's like, it's fine. It sounds fine. like you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the, that's, that's something that always interests me, like in dealing with self-doubt before a show or afterwards, like, um, finding the positive energy to, to counter, to counter these, these feelings in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's part of it is just sort of submitting to it all. You know, mm. I, if I try to say, Oh, let me think about something. Let me put a positive spin on this. It, it's not necessarily going to change much. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I just sort of, stop it's almost like stopping thinking for a second you just submit to whatever feeling you have and you're just like this is how I feel and I'll probably feel differently when I get out on stage because it'll be a shift in environment mm. so that'll be something and just kind of going with it mm -hmm. um, I think some people are better at uh, like mental trickery than I like I, mm -hmm. I really <laughs> I'm not that great at being like you're great. You go out there. You know, <laughs> that's not going to do much for me. Yeah. And I just do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm also very, um, I don't stay in one place or one mood for very long, which I mm. think is good for performance because mm. often just hearing this people clap when I come out is just the switch I need. Yeah. And it's okay. How is it? I mean, I'm sure that the, um, the business side has changed quite a bit in the last couple of, I mean, with, uh, with social media and stuff, like for us musicians also, like the way we have to kind of self-promote and you doing reels, you know, um, there you also have to look at yourself a lot, you know, face the things that you've done and, and uh, put them out there in a way, like how, I'm curious in the whole, like, how does it work for you right now? How much do you actually play and go out there, uh, you know, in, uh, in clubs, work on your material and then, yeah, what's, I don't, I don't know what kind of question this is, but I'm, I'm curious, like how you work actually. Well, I'm in a, a weird place right now, just with the movie and, I had cleared some time for it and then it got pushed. So right now is not a good example, but normally I'm out almost every night at a club. Um, sometimes multiple clubs in one night, you know, just doing 10 minute sets during the week. And then a lot of weekends I'll be 
somewhere else on the road doing longer sets. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a constant. But how far in advance are you booked for these 10 minutes slots? You know, I, that's something, a concept that I haven't really understood from coming from my perspective, from my world, you know, you get asked months or years sometimes in advance to play something. And you yeah. also, a lot of telephone calls lead up to somebody actually saying, yeah, you can play at my venue or emails and you, you don't get responses. But if you say you're playing every night and sometimes multiple sets and then only 10 minutes, I'm wor I don't really know what the, the underlying business side of it is. A lot of the shows are run by other comedians. It's, it's a, really like a network of comedians. And a lot of us also run shows and book, you know, eight to 10 comics on that show. So you could mm. be booked a couple months out. You could be booked a day before. Hey, someone dropped. Can you come over? And you think, oh, I have a set downtown, but it's earlier. So yeah, I could make it uptown after that. Like, so it's a lot of like last minute, a lot of comedians. It's, it's like Instagram DMs, you know, like people just DM me for anywhere from, yeah, like a couple months out to like, can you do tonight? Mm. Um, and you just, if I'm free, I go do it. And it usually amounts to me going out every night, you know, mm -hmm. um, at least for one show or something. But again, lately I've been a little, been taking it a little more easy just because I have some other stuff going on, but mm -hmm. I'm also looking forward to when I can get back into that. because it's when you're in the flow and you're, you're like writing and listening every day and trying every night, it, mm -hmm. it's a really fun Oh, creative yeah. spot to be in and it's a lot of like pretty immediate gratification mm -hmm. uh unless you you know bomb and then it's immediate knowledge that something doesn't work but <laughs> yeah but also you can quickly make up for it you know you can quickly um erase that feeling um by you know trying better next time yeah. uh if you don't play for a couple of weeks and the last gig was a bad one and you felt shitty you know that will that will that feeling will stay with you for quite a while right right that's the great thing about yeah. being on tour right i mean there's always another there's always a better set coming yeah tomorrow yeah yeah and i mean the whole thing about reels do you do it yourself or do you have somebody to do it for you or i mean how much is it is it all you or is it like i used to be all me Mm -hmm. and uh i would caption them and post them now i have a friend who captions them for me to make them look a little better and then i he sends it to me and then i still upload it so it's still me on my instagram yeah responding to every i see everything you know like mm -hmm. um although sometimes i want people i want it to seem like i don't see everything but i do mm -hmm. and uh but yeah i have someone who just helps me edit the clips because yeah. it's, it's time consuming yeah absolutely yeah. but do you think that the whole self-promotion thing is something that's good for the business because somebody can get maybe more attention more quickly or or how do you see it well first first of all i find it very frustrating because i i hate that i feel like i have to constantly be putting myself out there in a way that wasn't the case even five years ago yeah um But if I actually look at it, I mean, I, I got more followers from just posting a stupid little clip than I did from doing the tonight show twice, you know, so <laughs> there is, 
there is some i mean but the tonight show you know it's more of like a seal of approval a legitimacy for certain clubs whatever oh, yeah. it has its mm-hmm. merits but in terms of getting people like selling tickets to come out to my show that's i've been able to accomplish so much by just posting these little clips and so okay. part of me it's Incredible. like i don't know and and there are people who think well it's unfair because people who are inexperienced will just get a huge following and but comedy like the beautiful thing about it is it doesn't lie you know when you finally go out to see that person they're either gonna be good or not yeah and so any quick success someone has that wasn't earned you know unless they happen to be amazing like I think it's also a quick loss of like I don't I think it all balances out in the end and it's just another tool we have to get ourselves out there and it's a way to get if you're doing good work, it's a way to get your good work to be discovered. Mm-hmm. So, That's true. Yeah. you know, I have mixed feelings about it. Mm-hmm. But. Did you have uh, mentors or people that you um, that helped you out when you were coming up? Um, and if so, do you have certain pieces of advice that are still important to you that you think back to from those people? I didn't have any like mentors who were real, like, you know, very experienced, like famous comedians who were like guru types. I didn't have that with comedy, but I did have like people who had just been doing it longer than I had, who told me kind of how it worked. Like, oh yeah, you can, you do like multiple open mics a night. You record every set on your phone. You listen back, you know, make sure you do the same set over and over again. So you can actually like, you don't you don't just do a new set every night you do the same mm-hmm. set like li- basic things like that um and i think it's i mean if we're talking stand up it is just a very basic thing to do like it, you just you just go do it mm-hmm. and you listen and you fix what doesn't work and you just try it again and it's it's just a ton of trial and error and uh i mean the biggest like advice I have beyond that is just that it just takes a long time and you know it's it's really just something you have to want to stick with Mm -hmm. and you don't want to rush success with comedy because eventually you end up in a situation you won't be ready for you know like it's it's kind of there are people now who get a huge following overnight because of one reel that goes viral but they've only been doing stand-up for a year and they're robbing themselves of like, like, I just feel so lucky that I started in a time where no one was really posting anything. Mm. And all I was concerned about was actually getting funnier. I was not concerned about getting a following yeah. or any of that stuff. I just wanted to get on stage as much as I could. And I had this like wonderful four years of just like pure discovery and, you know, it was really nice. So I would say just like, if you're in like the first four or five years of doing it, like just focus on the actual doing of it, not any of the other, you know, bullshit for lack of a better term. Yeah. Because what's there to promote if there's. Yeah. What are you selling? What are you selling? (laughs) Absolutely. What's your um, musical life right now? Like, I'm very sparse. Uh, I don't have a lot of gigs anymore. 
uh, I happen to be going to Europe in October to do drone mass by Johan Johansson for mm. like a little Copenhagen, Helsinki, Tallinn tour with cool. uh, Acme. Um, but that's like a, I feel like old, an old version of myself. It's kind of, I'm excited. It'll be fun, mm-hmm. but I don't do that that much anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't sub in Broadway shows anymore. I don't mm-hmm. really, I occasionally do something if it pays well and it fits in the schedule or it, or it seems really fun, but those are few and far between. Yeah. And I, I just have less and less of an interest in like the traditional music career. Yeah. What does it do you um, to your personal um maybe daily uh, relationship to music in terms of practicing or in, you know, checking out different pieces or I don't know what, what it's like for you. I mean, I don't think I have like a daily music thing anymore. It's kind of sad. I mean, I, I practice, I've been practicing a little more lately. I don't mm-hmm. practice every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even listen to music every day anymore. It's, I mean, partly just because I'm running around like a chicken with his head cut off most of the time, like with this movie and stuff, you know, like it's, it's mm. circumstantial, but, uh, but it's something that's really important to me. And it, sometimes I get sad and, and I'll listen to a piece of music finally. And I'll be like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. I love this. Mm-hmm. And I get sad that I've been depriving myself of it. So it's mixed and it's bittersweet. But in the end, you know, music is all all a part of what I'm doing. And the yeah. great thing about a movie is it's like a really practical application of like music as well. I love figuring out like what soundtrack will be here and all of that. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on this? On the sound? Can you talk about that already? Like uh, what yeah. kind of music you're thinking about for for the movie? Yeah, well, a lot of it will be diegetic. Um, the quartet is rehearsing in the movie there's a string quartet and they're rehearsing Mm -hmm. the death and the maiden string quartet Mm -hmm. by schubert so that will be i mean you know this could all change when we get to the cutting room floor but Mm -hmm. as of now i imagine that we'll use a lot of that as the soundtrack Mm -hmm. and usually just diegetically so it'll you'll hear it but then it'll quickly go to where they're actually playing it um and then my fiance is a, is a composer and he's mm-hmm. going to write some original music for it as well. And oh, you know, he and I have gone through and figured out where we want very little, but some important, you know, original music cues mm-hmm. more towards the end of the film as, as she, the character sort of, you know, gets in touch with. And you're starring in the movie and directing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've done the same already in the in the web series, but that's a bigger scope now. Yeah, it's not it's not ideal, but uh, I think for this project, it's so specific that I just mm. have to do it. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I really excited want... to see it. Oh, thanks. Me too. <laughs> When do you think it's going to come out? It's like another year or something or? Yeah, it's so hard, hard to, to say. say. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it'll be shot by the end of the year. So yeah, that's, that's the first goal <laughs> in the can by 2024. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best for it. And I'm going to be you. closely watching and waiting. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really fun to talk to you. I'm really, really happy that we got through this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really a refreshing and great interview. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. No, no boring questions. No, no <laughs> questions I've been asked a million times. <laughs> oh, actually, good. actually, I wrote you this email right before. Like, um, I'm so uh, sorry that I, I that I, it took me until today to discover that you had a podcast of yourself. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I only listened to the Maria Bamford uh, episode because I really like her. So I like her so much. She's incredible. And you, in the setup to this, um, to this episode, you said something like you, you imagine the person you're about to talk to waking up in the morning, looking at the calendar and seeing uh interview <laughs> with this podcast, <laughs> Isabel Hagen. And I really can, I can really relate to this feeling. You know, I get insecure a lot and, and think about, oh shit, now they think they have to do this thing. And usually I'm not an interviewer. I'm not a journalist. I'm a musician and I'm interested in people that I admire, you know, so I, I didn't learn how to do this. I'm just curious. So I hope they don't expect me to be, you know, professional and to be, you know, I could, you know, that was a great moment for me to, to hear this from you. I, I think I needed to hear it from you. So oh, I'm thank glad. you for that. I forgot I even said that. But yeah, I, I don't do the podcast anymore, partly because of the, it's hard. It's hard to like book people every time, and, yeah. you know, put yourself out there. And it's, but as, as the person on the other side of it now, I can tell you, you know, they're usually just happy to do it. And it's usually just a pleasure. Thank you.